right. Hey, we're launching into an exciting week as a church. And uh, whatever your level of participation, and again, this is, this is not compulsory. And if it's your first Sunday, you're like, what did I sign up for? This is an invitation uh, to, to try something, to, to rely on God in a way where we're making a declaration together that says there's more to life than bread. There's something found in God's presence. There's something found in the laying aside of our desires in order to focus on prayer and the presence of God. There's something found there that we can't find anywhere else. And I think it's extra special and going to be extra powerful that we're doing it together. So I hope you'll join us tonight as we launch. We're going to have a great time of worship and prayer, communion together uh, as we launch into fasting week. For now, let's conclude our series. We've been looking at topics related to fasting and prayer. We've looked at self-discipline, faith for God's provision, and today we are looking at overcoming the flesh. Overcoming the flesh. One of the things you will notice if you are fasting this week is that you will get hungry. Wow, this pastor is super insightful. Yes, you are going to get hungry. Your fleshy self, your body, your cravings will start to scream and shout and demand to be satisfied. So today it might be all exciting that we're about to fast. And tonight, if you come to the worship and prayer night, we might get really motivated and really inspired. And God, it's going to be a great week. And then come lunchtime on Monday and dinner on Monday. Or if you make it and you, you, know, you wake up Tuesday morning and you're hungry, you're going to start to regret your decisions. You're going to start to curse your pastor. You're going to start to wonder if you're going to make it and if all this has been worth it. The flesh is going to start to grumble and complain. If you're inexperienced with fasting, it can be really, really challenging. Your stomach is used to getting what it wants whenever it wants it. I shared this uh, Richard Foster quote earlier in the month that I want to repeat again. It's so good. He says, in many ways, the stomach is like a spoiled child, and a spoiled child does not need indulgence, but needs discipline. It needs discipline. Now, of course, our cravings are natural. Your bodily cravings are designed by God for a good and specific purpose. Your body is designed to remind you to eat because if you don't get enough nutrition, you can die. That's God's grace as he designed us. Your body is designed to remind you to drink water because you need fluids to keep the organs going. Your, your body is designed to, to crave sexual intimacy. Why? Because we need to have babies to survive as a population. These are all cravings that are natural and normal and good and designed by God. But in every case, these cravings can get disordered and or excessive. They can be corrupted by sin and turn into something that harms us and others rather than helps us and serves others. Our healthy craving for nutrition can turn into an excessive craving that leads to obesity and heart disease and diabetes and an early grave. Our craving for sex can turn into an excessive disordered craving that leads to sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, broken relationships, and human trafficking. Our healthy craving for sleep and rest can turn into laziness and idleness and unemployment and becoming a burden on others. When the Bible talks about good natural cravings being corrupted by sin or becoming excessive, it tends to use the term the flesh. 
or some translations, sinful desires or sinful nature. But it's the, the Greek word that more directly translates as the flesh. Sometimes the word flesh in the Bible can just refer to uh, your body, your physical body, just an amoral term that refers to the meat that you're made of. But often the word flesh is used in a negative term. It refers to our sinful nature. Dave's definition of the flesh is excessive appetites that lead to self-destruction and the harm of others. Excessive appetites that lead to self-destruction and the harm of others. The flesh is presented as one of three primary enemies of our soul. And here's where I make a, a book recommendation. Um, it's quite a popular book in the last year, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And uh, I've, I've recommended him a couple of times. He does some, some great stuff. But he talks about, in his book, the three enemies of our soul. The world, the devil, and the flesh. On the one hand, we have this personal spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him the devil, the accuser, the Satan, or the Satan. He, he wars against us. He utilizes uh, deception and, and deceit to, to conscript us into his rebellion against God. He convinced Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, sowing distrust between humanity and God. And we've all succumbed to his lies at one point or another. But there's also the world that wars against our soul, which is basically the, the, the systems of the world that are corrupted by sin and battle against the kingdom of God. Sometimes the Bible uses the word world just to talk about generally the planet or the people who live here, but often it uses the word world to talk about the, the systems in place that war against the kingdom of God. And we have all succumbed one way or another and joined in corrupt systems. You can think of uh, sexism and, and racism and, and all kinds of isms like, like classism or, or warmongering and violence and bigotry. These are all things in the world that war against the goodness of God. And even if we don't join in, we can sometimes be victimized by these things. But the third enemy of our soul is what the Bible calls the flesh. And oftentimes, I can't blame the devil for my problems. Oftentimes, I can't even blame the world or corrupt systems or oppression for my problems. Sometimes it's just the fact that I am immature. It's I am undisciplined. I have not positioned myself. I have, I have allowed myself and my cravings to take over. I have allowed the weakness of my human flesh to take over and have not walked in obedience with God, that is my flesh. I am greedy. I am immature. I choose to do things my way and I suffer the consequences. And even worse, people around me suffer the consequences. My flesh wants to lead me down a path of self-destruction. So in other sermons, we could talk about overcoming the work of the devil. In other sermons, we could talk about overcoming the, the powers of the world. But today, we want to talk about how do I overcome the flesh? And it's a large conversation, but we're going to narrow it down today to talk specifically about how fasting can actually help us to overcome the flesh. Let's open up the scriptures, find the wisdom we need in there. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. You can look, up, look it up in your Bible or on your device. It'll be on screen as well. In Galatians, before we read, Paul is correcting the church who uh, people have tended to go in kind of two opposite but equal errors. 
on the one hand, you come to Jesus, you get all your sins forgiven, and the temptation is to say, wow, all my sins are forgiven. That means I can do whatever I want. I can sin however much I want because Jesus will always forgive me. And Paul says, no, don't do that because you've been rescued from sin and death. Don't go back into it, taking advantage of God's grace because then you become a slave again. And the other equal but opposite error is you get saved, you become a Christian, you you have your sins forgiven, but you think that you need to then add law and rule and regulation to make sure you sustain that salvation. And and so particularly the Jewish The Jewish believers were putting Jewish religious laws and rituals back in place. And Paul said, no, 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 that's slavery as well. Don't do that. There's a different way to, instead of going back into the flesh or back into the law, which which is also the flesh, he says there's another way, a better way, and it's life in the Spirit. And so we don't just get freed from sin, and we don't just get freed from the law. We get freed to live by the Spirit. And so Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul sets up this clash of forces. We have uh, the, the class, the, this, this flesh desire, the, the desires of our flesh that overwhelm and they're excessive and try to lead us down a, a, a dangerous path, a self-destructive path, an overindulgent lifestyle. And on the other hand, there is the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit, God's active personal presence and power in our lives. He wants to take us down the path of life to lead us closer to the Father, to shape us into the image of Jesus, and to free us from the destructive power of sin and death. But the flesh and the Spirit are in conflict, both vying for our attention, both both trying to draw us in, and we need to make a decision about which we will sow into, which we will allow to have power over our lives. Do you ever find that you have conflicting desires? You have two strong desires. You want them both, but you can't necessarily have them both. Uh, I've seen this meme going around. I don't know the origin of the actual quote, but the quote tends to be placed on top of a picture of Nacho Libre. And it says, I want a hot body, but I also want tacos. Anyone feel that deeply in their soul? You know, you can't have both sometimes. Like, I would love to have abs, but I love cookies and carbs way too much. And these desires battle against each other. Or we have other conflicting desires. I want to save money and I want to go on that expensive vacation. I want a clean house, but I never want to have to clean my house. Conflicting desires, we cannot have both. They're in conflict with each other. And the same principle is at work with the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants me to live at peace with people. My flesh wants revenge on the jerk who cut me off in traffic. The spirit wants me to be a patient father, but my flesh wants to rage at my children's misbehavior. The spirit wants me to be a faithful faithful husband, but my flesh leads me to have a wandering eye. The flesh and the spirit are in conflict We need to learn to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. 
So a question is, as we continue in the passage, how do you know if you're living by the flesh? So Paul continues, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says when you live by the flesh, it becomes obvious. It presents itself externally as, as behaviors and habits and poor character and, and destructive practices. We often begin life in the flesh in secret, thinking we can stay in control over our excessive desires, our disordered desires, but eventually it works itself out. It overwhelms us. It begins to take over and becomes very public. In the book of James, James gives this kind of word picture of sin being born, like our desires turning in, uh, being, being born into the world and then growing up into sin and then overwhelming and killing and destroying us. And I've always thought about uh, this picture in terms of, of my extended family. I have I have a nephew named Isaac who goes to the Bible college here, and he's turning six on Thursday. You may think that's weird as a Bible college student, but Thursday is February 29th, which is the leap day. So it's his sixth technical birthday. Uh, so he's turning, he's turning 24 in reality, and he has a younger brother named Cole who is 22. And when they were four and two years old, I would wrestle them and I'd, you know, I'd pretend that they were beating me up and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're overwhelming me. But the reality was at that point, I could have picked them up and thrown them, right? And I would, I'd pick them up and throw them on the couch or whatever. We'd, we'd horse play and wrestle and it was lots of fun. But now that they're 24 and 22, I would never, ever pick a fight with them. They're both close to my height and, and strong and athletic, and, and it's just there's no way that that fight would go in my favor, right? And, and that's the picture I always think about when I think about the picture of sin. When it's little, when it's an infant, it seems like we can control it and we can just play with it and have fun with it and it's not going to be a big deal, but it eventually grows up and masters us and overwhelms us and overpowers us and can destroy us. The acts of the flesh, Paul says, they become obvious. When we feed the flesh, it eventually works itself out and becomes very, very public. But, continuing on verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Notice the contrast of language. There's the acts of the flesh, and there is the fruit of the Spirit. The flesh is about things that we do. It's about, it's about the actions that come from a sinful life. But living by the Spirit isn't about our hard work and achievement. Living by the Spirit is about a life of faith in God, trust in Jesus, and partnership with the work of the Spirit in our life. Partnership with Christ in obedience to Him. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
And if you know anything about gardening or orcharding, which I know very little about, but enough to use this illustration, if you know anything about it, you know that fruit is not grown through direct effort. You don't grow apples by trying really hard to grow apples. You grow apples by tending a tree, by weeding and fertilizing and watering and pruning and protecting the plant from destructive influences. And the natural result of a healthy plant is healthy fruit. So it's not through direct effort that I grow apples, it's through tending the plant itself. So walking by the Spirit is is about the environment you get rooted in, It's about what you feed your soul. It's about monitoring for unhealthy influences in your life. It's about getting the right people around you who can help prune and weed and challenge you. It's about getting God's word into you, feeding yourself with truth. It's about healthy habits and rhythms that help you stay connected to Jesus. He is the source of all life and fruitfulness. And then trusting the Spirit with the results. He is the one who will bear the good fruit you hope for. If you become a healthy tree, you produce healthy fruit. We keep reading. We skip a few verses into chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So ultimately, it's about this. You and I have daily decisions to make about what we will sow into. Will we be walking down the path of the flesh, you know, the path of the flesh, it can, be, it can be a process, an accumulation of small decisions over time until sin eventually matures and overwhelms. And you get to a point in your life where you go, how did I get here? How did I ruin my life? It most likely wasn't just one bad decision on an otherwise good path. It was probably a thousand decisions over time and eventually something tipped over the edge. Walking by the Spirit can be similar. Sometimes you feel like in your faith or in your, in your trust in Jesus, you're, you're stuck and you're not progressing. And sometimes it can feel like you're, you're not going anywhere. It's like you're spinning your wheels. But if you keep sowing, if you keep planting, if you keep fertilizing, if you keep pruning, if you keep watering, all of the sudden, you will see fruit. Harvest season eventually comes. We reap what we sow, for better or for worse. And I think some people in the room need to be reminded of that. To keep being patient and hanging on and holding on to your faith. Because a fruit tree blooms in season. Sometimes it's winter. Sometimes the tree looks and feels dead, but it's not. Sometimes it's about the roots growing deep and God doing a deep but invisible work. Some seasons there's no visible growth, but God is still at work. If you're patient, you will reap what you sow. If you're patient, harvest season will come. Keep trusting, keep sowing, keep watering, keep weeding, and let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. So how does fasting play into this? How does fasting help us overcome the flesh? 
Three points. Number one, fasting trains our flesh to not get what it wants, at least not all the time. It gives us time and space, at the same time, to be sowing into the Spirit in our lives. That is, through prayer, through devotion, through, through practicing the presence of God, we, we partner with the Spirit to bear a fruitful life. Think about what you're doing when you fast. You are conscripting your body and your hunger mechanism in a strategic way to fight the excessive desires of the flesh. Again, your body's not evil, your cravings are not evil, but they are also not supposed to rule your life. They can become excessive and lead you down a road of destruction. So, so I'm going to conscript my body and my cravings in a controlled environment to teach myself to say no to myself. Think about it this way. Uh, my body says, I'm hungry. And while fasting, what I'm, tr- what I'm learning how to do is I'm learning how to say, no, deal with it. I, and I say to my body, there is plenty of other stuff to eat. You will be fine for a few days, right? Eat that. You'll be okay. I'm training, like, like training a muscle. My ability to say no to my cravings gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But let's say this week you've made it a goal to fast for 72 hours, three straight days. Great goal. Apparently the first three days are the hardest. I don't know. But 48 hours in, two days in, you give up. You didn't make it the 72 hours. Guess what? No big deal. No big deal. You haven't sinned. God's not mad at you. It's not a big deal. Why? Because because this is practice. This is training. If you didn't quite make it to your goal, it's okay. But you know what you have done for 48 hours? Is you have said no for 48 hours. And now you know you can say no for 48 hours. And now next time, maybe you can say no for a little while longer. And you've trained and you've built that muscle up. You've strengthened your ability to overcome the flesh. And someday you'll find yourself in a situation where you have to say no to a craving. You have to say no to a temptation. And the consequences of not being able to say no become significant. The consequences of not being able to say no could be a destroyed relationship. It could be a broken family. It could be hurting someone significantly. It could be, it could be destroying your health. But because you've trained your flesh to not get what it wants, you can achieve victory. So fasting helps me practice saying no to my flesh in a safe environment so that when I'm in a dangerous environment of temptation, I have strength to endure. Number two, fasting trains us how to handle not getting what we want. So this is different. On the one hand, I'm training my flesh to not get what it wants, but I also need to learn how to handle not getting what I want. And remember, the, fle- the flesh is the part of us that wants excess. It wants more than it should have, or a disordered version of what is natural. And it wants to, to, to consume enough that it would destroy us. So we're training our flesh to deal with that. But there's also times when I want something that's good. And I, want, I have a desire that's actually good for me. It's not excessive. It's not destructive. It's good. I, I go to apply for a good job. 
I want to get married. I want to buy a house. But you don't get the job. You can't find the right spouse. You, you can't afford to buy the house. How do you handle not getting what you want? When we don't get what we want, even if we want what is a good thing, it actually becomes an opportunity for the devil to sow seeds of distrust in God, and it becomes an opportunity for our flesh to flare up and disorder our desires or lead us down a destructive path. So we need to learn how to handle not getting what we want, even if what we want is a good thing. How do most of us handle it when we don't get what we want? We freak out. We rage. We claim injustice. We blame people around us. I am the lead character of the story of this world. How come I'm not getting what I want? How come my life doesn't have happy endings every single day? We need to learn how to not get what we want with maturity and with peace and with joy. You know, in life, suffering is unavoidable. If you talked through this room, you would find three categories of people. People who are currently suffering, people who have just come out of a season of suffering, and people who will likely soon be in a season of suffering. But we need to learn how to deal with suffering like Jesus did, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See, it's possible to actually suffer with joy. It's actually possible to suffer with contentment. It's actually possible to suffer in faith for God's provision and his goodness in our life, not, not in spite of it, but even because of it, even through it, recognizing a deep joy in the suffering we endure for the sake of Jesus. Do you know how to rely on the Lord even when you don't feel like you have what you need or what you want? Number three. Fasting positions us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, what we need to overcome the flesh is the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God to have true and lasting victory over the flesh. A lot of times when people are on like a diet, where they're trying to overcome a habit, they'll talk about willpower. You know, I got to get my will, I got to have strong willpower to overcome this thing in my life. And the truth is, willpower can be a helpful ally. Some people have stronger willpower than others, and all of us have stronger willpower in certain things than in other things. For example, uh, I have very strong willpower when it comes to not buying too much hair product. It just, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be a problem in my life like it does for other people. But there are other areas in my life where I have weaker willpower. And so it's a, it, there's struggles in certain areas rather than others. And the problem with willpower is that it is human power. And it is limited by me. And I only have so much will. And my will is often conflicted or misdirected. So I want to learn how to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just willpower, but Holy Spirit power. Remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, we're told at the end of it in Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It was through his time of fasting and prayer and meditating on the scriptures during that time that he experienced a fulfillment, a filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that launched him into the next three years of his public ministry. So the problem with my willpower is that my willpower cannot heal sickness and disease. My willpower cannot provide salvation for the lost. My willpower cannot grow a church and transform a city. My willpower cannot produce supernatural wisdom or knowledge or insight. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do those things. So I want to go beyond willpower to experience the Spirit's power. So by all means, you should, to the measure you possess, exert your willpower. And to a degree, fasting will be dependent on your will to endure. But the willpower we exert while fasting is simply meant to get us into position to experience Holy Spirit power. Here's a comment from uh, John Mark Comer's book that I referred to earlier. He says, Willpower is best when it does what it can so that the Holy Spirit's power can do what willpower can't. So when I fast this week, I have a prayer list. Things that I'm going to be really digging into, spending lots of time praying into in my life. And they are beyond my power to accomplish. So I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to direct my will toward fasting and prayer and scripture. And I believe that will position me to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to receive and experience breakthrough in these areas that I'm seeking. Last couple of thoughts. The band is going to come back up for a time of response. I want to highlight one last thing. We've been reading from Galatians 5 and 6, um, but I started in verse 16, and I want to jump back to verse 13, which provides even more context and an answer to an important question. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. So these four extra verses actually give us insight as to what it means practically to walk by the Spirit, to serve one another humbly in love and to love your neighbor as yourself. Ultimately, what it looks like to walk by the Spirit is to love and serve others. Remember the acts of the flesh and and the fruit of the Spirit? The acts of the flesh were things like sexual immorality, selfish ambition, jealousy. The, The list, as you read it, is all about fundamentally selfish actions. It's about me, what I get, me getting what I want, often at the expense of others. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, forbearance, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The only thing on that list that's about me is the part where it's about being in control of me. The rest is about how I love and serve the people God has placed in my life. So how do I walk by the Spirit? I need to learn to stop thinking only about me and the things that I want and need. 
And I need to start to learn to love and serve others and help them get the things that they need. Every time I love and serve someone, I sow into the Spirit. Every time I only think about myself, I sow into the flesh. Every time I encourage someone, every time I'm generous, every time I help someone in need, every cup of coffee I serve as a volunteer at Milk and Honey, every child that I encourage as a, a teacher in Kids Church, every hand I shake in welcome on the welcome team, I'm sowing into the Spirit. But every time I complain, every time my demands are not met, every time I tailgate a bad driver, every time I'm grumpy with a drive through employee, I'm sowing into the flesh. And do not be deceived. We reap what we sow. The harvest always comes for better or for worse. And Jesus' life was all about sowing into the Spirit. It was all about the love and service of others. It was all about finding the neighbor, which his definition of neighbor was the person you actually don't like. Finding a way to love and serve that person sacrificially. And his sowing into the Spirit, the harvest of that was us. Our salvation. Our new life. The fact that we get to be here today to experience his goodness in his presence. Every blessing we have is because Jesus sowed into the Spirit through his self-sacrificial love. And now he's given us the opportunity to join him in that same ministry so that others can be blessed with the good news as well. So the band's going to lead us in a song, and, and I, I honestly was a bit, at a bit of a loss as to what sort of response to encourage today. You know, we're going to be back here tonight, and we're going we're gonna to have a great, powerful time. And, but I don't, maybe some of you can't come tonight, and that's okay. And, but I want to have a response moment in, in, in this moment as well. So we're going to sing this song we sang earlier, Breakthrough, Your Power, it says, Your Presence, Break Strongholds, King of Heaven, When You Speak, mountains move, I believe there will be breakthrough. And that's my belief for this next week as well. That we as a church, as we dedicate this time and, and set aside our desires to focus on prayer and the presence of God, I think there's going to be breakthrough. And I'm excited to hear some testimonies. I'm excited to hear what God does. I'm excited to see what he's going to do in my own life. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But it's going to be so worth it to experience God's work in our lives. So we're going to sing this song, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to leave the response up to you and the Lord, who I know is already speaking to your heart. I'm going to pray. After that, the band will lead. You can stand. You can sit. You can get on your knees. You can, you can come up to the altar. You can grab someone and ask them to pray for you. But let's just spend five or ten minutes just sitting in this moment, calling out to God, believing in faith, the words of this song, that we are going to experience breakthrough as we trust in the goodness and power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Father, we love you. Father, we need you. We need your spirit, Lord God. We pray for, for salvation from the power the flesh has over our lives. Lord, the excessive desires that will lead us down a path of destruction. Lord, we pray that you would bring those back into alignment to the good desires you have given us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to walk in the power and the presence of the Spirit 
on the path toward eternal life. Lord, if there are those of us struggling with sin today, we pray for forgiveness and salvation. We pray, Lord God, for healing from that and breakthrough in our lives toward holiness and righteousness with you, Lord God. If there are those of us who are struggling with addiction, Lord Jesus, we pray for liberty. Break those chains in the name of Jesus, we ask for breakthrough in Jesus' name. God, those of us who are still struggling on the edge of the kingdom, not sure whether or not it's worth it to put our faith in Jesus, God, I pray you would reveal yourself in power. Show your truth to us, Lord God. Open our hearts to the reality of your kingdom that is among us. And Lord, bring people into that kingdom to receive your peace and your life. God, we just want to see breakthrough. So in this moment, Lord, as we sit and stand and come to the altar or wherever we're at, Lord God, we know you're going to minister and speak to us. And we give you liberty to do as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.